Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome to the FIC Focus Podcast, Macro Matters Edition. I'm Ira Jersey, the Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LP. With me today is Bob Zucker. He is a portfolio manager with Winshore Capital Partners. Bob, thanks very much for coming back on the FIC Focus Podcast. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here. So you, one of your focuses for most of your career has been in trading and researching inflation, uh, inflation-related instruments, so things like Treasury inflation-protected securities as well as the derivatives thereof. You know, what, how has that market developed, especially with the very significant increase in inflation that we've had over the past 18 months or so? Yeah, well... Um... I've been doing it for a long time. I've been involved in this market since 2003. Um, so yeah, coming up on 20 years, it's changed quite a bit. Um, you know, it used to be uh, sort of a, a very, very niche product. Um, it still remains a little bit niche, but um, obviously with all the inflation that we've had, it's become a large focus for a lot of people. Um, so we've seen a growth in kind of the, the breadth of investor um, retail has become a lot more involved than it used to be. Um, and then even uh, hedge funds, large macro funds, and uh, certainly real money and pension funds that haven't been involved before have started to become involved over the last couple of years. So um, the development's been, it's been pretty, uh, pretty large and the Treasury continues to show commitment to it um, by issuing more every year. So uh, you know, it's it's definitely grown. So given that the tips market is relatively small, uh, you know, it's something like seven and a half, eight percent of the outstanding uh, Treasury portfolio, though we, we do think and, and our our forecast is for that to grow slightly over the next uh, course of the next 12 or 15 months. Um, is is liquidity a, a big issue? So are people able to transact in, in relatively large size or, or is it still a little bit more of a uh, of a less liquid instrument i mean obviously vis-a-vis nominal treasuries that's the case but 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 say compared to other potential instruments like like derivatives or or say uh corporate credit or mortgages you know where do tips kind of fall in that that liquidity spectrum i would say so obviously they're much less liquid than the nominal treasuries um but uh it, it is a large market compared to a lot, a lot of markets. So, I mean, if we were talking about in the U.S., the tips market is certainly more liquid than than cash in some of the other uh, inflation-linked markets, such as Europe and the U.K. Um, but from a comparative perspective of other markets, say like credit, it, it probably trades more like a single-name credit when you're talking about off-the-runs. On-the-run liquidity is pretty good. You can do you can do pretty reasonable size at, at any time. But um, when people say, say, if you've got a billion to do, it could take, you know, it could take a couple of couple of few days to try to get that kind of size moved without seriously impacting the market. So you can do size. Um, 
and you know 100 million clips things like that trade um obviously the the market volatility recently has widened bid offer it's done the same thing in treasuries um but uh it's very it's a very tradable market um derivatives on inflation are less liquid than cash um but they, it's actually developed quite a bit over the last five years to where volumes are almost almost 10% of what goes through in, in tips on a daily basis. So let's talk about usage. You know, one of the issues that's happened this year in um, an inflation product is, you know, people heard treasury inflation protected securities. They go out and buy an ETF that buys tips in a constant maturity instrument and you know, we've always brought up the fact that you basically you're taking significant interest rate risk if you do that because you're not hedging your interest rate component um, and you can't hold those instruments to maturity. So so can you talk a little bit about how you manage that risk in your portfolios? And, um, you know, is, is there something that, uh, you know, when, when when investors are thinking about using tips or other inflation product that they should be uh, that they should be mindful of. Um, you know, obviously there's long only, and then there's also buying break evens, which I think a lot of particularly more retail investors don't quite understand what a break even is vis-a-vis a um, inflation. Yeah, that's right. It's there is significant interest rate risk in most of the tips products out there in ETF and, and mutual funds because. Uh, they can't necessarily get enough leverage to do something like a break-even trade. So um, when you buy an ETF in general, um, you know, you're just basically buying tips, uh, a basket of tips, which are an interest rate instrument. And so when interest rates go up or down, you're going to lose money when all you really want is inflation exposure. So there's been a big migration towards the shorter uh, duration tips instruments in, in ETFs. So we're talking um, like five year and in type um, ETFs. So there's several of those um, out there and there's some that are, have grown very large um, and they'll they'll limit your interest rate risk to ver- the very short end. But the problem is without leverage, um, you don't really get a huge boost from inflation. And some people really want, you know, okay, I want to overlay some inflation exposure on my portfolio rather than putting every, you know, you can't get enough exposure to help you that much. It might take the edge off, but that's about it. So, you know, as hedge funds and and any real money that can leverage the way they'll they'll trade it often is as a break even. So you would buy tips and then you would sell a, a like treasury, a like maturity treasury against it so that you have a leveraged position where there's really not much cash involved um, and, and you can overlay that into a portfolio for for us, you know, we trade in break even terms most of the time. Um, you know, ETFs, they have special rules that you can't get more than a certain amount of volatility in there and that that reduces your leverage. So um, for retail investors, they just got to be sure that, uh, you know, they understand that if rates are selling off, they're even if inflation is going up, they're likely to lose money in those <laughs> in those ETFs. It makes it very tricky for them. Yeah, in a mark-to-market basis, obviously, there's been huge uh, huge moves in a lot of those products. Although, you know, interestingly, the tips like the the Bloomberg Tips Index has outperformed 
similar uh, duration and maturity buckets of the cash instruments because of the inflation compensation. So even though they've had a, a negative total return, they have outperformed uh, nominal treasuries, which which is just telling you, I, I guess, that break-even inflation rates have gone up, right? <laughs> that's that's, that's effectively that's what that's correct. telling you. So that's where, that's where a lot of real money look at it. If they can't leverage, they'll buy tips and you can, and and if they're worried about a sell-off, they can have tips. So they still have um, the duration exposure that their benchmark has, except now if duration is selling off, many times that means that break-evens are widening and tips outperform. And we call that the beta. So tips don't sell off as fast as treasuries in a rising inflation environment in general. So, so that's interesting that you brought up the beta. So, so the beta, I know, you know, when we analyze tips using the Bloomberg terminal, for example, there, there's, you can assume different betas, you know, beta of 0.5, a beta of one, like, or somewhere in between. How has that beta changed over recent times? And, and how do you anticipate it'll change, let's say, over the next 12 months? Oh, it's been pretty wild, actually. So historically, you could say with a 10-year tip, the beta to treasuries is about a 0.75 or a 0.8. So meaning if treasuries sell off 10 basis points, um, tips would sell off seven and a half to eight. <clears throat> Recently, whenever the Fed gets very involved, the betas kind of go haywire. So um, during QT or during QE um, in the last couple of years, the Fed was buying and we had inflation moving higher at the same time. Um, betas got extremely low. So tips tips were actually outperforming pretty much in, in any interest rate scenario. So the beta didn't really mean much. Um, real yields were negative. Um, and when real yields are negative, it's hard to, to count on a beta as, as much of a, of a hedge. So um, what you find is when the Fed was, let's say, being dovish, tips would actually rally more than treasuries. So you could say for every 10 basis points, treasury would rally. Tips might move 11 or 12, which is actually like 120 beta. Um, when the Fed is active the other way, it could also be a greater than uh, 100 beta or greater than one beta, however you want to put it, um, where if the Fed is aggressive in their hiking, oftentimes tips will underperform in the sell-off. So they'll have a, great, a beta greater than one there as well. But um, right now, you know, the Fed, after this last couple of speakers last week and before this meeting, a lot of people are talking about a pivot um, or them pausing to some degree and waiting to see what's going to happen. Um, tips are more likely to trade with uh, a normal to slightly lower than normal beta. So let's call it 0.5 to 0.75. Um, in this situation, because there's all different types of viewpoints, which, you know, we don't know which way the Fed's going to go. Um, and typically right now, if rates are selling off, it's because inflation is going to go higher and the Fed's going to have to deal with it. So inflation goes up, rates sell off, um, you end up with a beta somewhere between 0.5 and 0.75. Um, for the next 12 months, um, it's tough. It's really going to depend on what the Fed is doing. If they have to be aggressive, because inflation is rising, um, depending on where you are in the curve, the five-year part of the curve um, may trade with a different beta than, say, the 30-year part of the curve. Um, you know, basically depending on what their actions are. So it, it should be very interesting to see.
So let's talk just briefly about how you know tips behaved. Um, th there's been some chatter, you know, particularly on on the Twitter sphere, of course, which a lot of times you have to take with a grain of salt. <laughs> but what um, uh, you know, noting that that you know tips have been pricing for inflation to come down significantly, and and while inflation has continued to go up, so so can you talk about what you've noticed in terms of how tips have performed vis-a-vis -vis the realized inflation environment, which obviously is, you know, still on a year-on-year -year basis very high, although month-on-month -month has, has started to, uh, you know, maybe come down a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. In the, in, in the past, it's, it's been mixed. There's been periods of time where um, the Fed had their 2% target and everybody considered that sort of a ceiling on inflation. And so, tips tended to trade cheaper than where inflation was actually realizing. Um, and it also depends on the part of the curve. Um, the very front end of the curve historically is traded cheaper than where inflation is going to, uh, where inflation is realized, whereas the five to 30 year part of the curve has traded cheaper than where inflation was probably realized over that period of time. Um, and that was sort of a negative inflation risk premium because if inflation got over 2%, everybody expected the Fed to try to knock it back down. Um, then over the last couple of years, um, we've seen obviously break-evens take off. They've, they've done very well. We had a lot of buying, a lot of fear about inflation, and obviously we got the inflation. Um, you know, with year-on-year with -year inflation running over 8%, um, tips can look pretty cheap. But Obviously, um, you know, tips are pricing out to the future as opposed to, to right now. And I, I would say that in general, over the past couple of years, the front end of the tips market has under underperformed or underpriced where inflation is going to be. Uh, and, you know, there's reasons for that. Um, some of it is because, you know, there's people that will avoid tips because of the reasons we talked about before. They can't get enough leverage in them. Um, there's also, you know, the reason that um, there's technical reasons with uh, indexers and what's bought and what's sold, why they wouldn't necessarily be there, be all the way up. But most of the reason is because inflation has surprised everybody. Um, every single, almost every single CPI print we've had since 2020, mid 2020 has been higher than expected. It, the the number of lower than expected surprises is uh, you can probably count them on two fingers, um, maybe. Um, so that's been the main reason. And, you know, I think it's more that everybody was sort of shocked. We had this product since 1997 and really there's been very little threat of inflation since between now and then. There was the run up in energy prices in 2000, 2006 through 2008. But in general, inflation has been well under control and there's been a lot of skeptical people about inflation, whether we could actually get it. And so I think it took a long time to change the mindset of the market. Um, I don't think I think tips give a very good impression of what the market expectations are, though. So I don't think that they're that makes them, you know, less information, you know, with I don't think it gives them less informational value. So whether or not they actually predict inflation great is one thing, but, you know, it, it's traded and people make money on it. Um, and, and when pe things are traded and they make people make money on it and it's a large market, um, the signals that it gives 
for inflation are what the market is actually thinking. I don't, yeah. it might be off by 25 basis points, but like what's 25 basis points when your inflation's at, you know, seven or 8%. Yeah, I, I would, I argue the same thing that, you know, break evens are the market's expectation. And if you disagree with the market's expectation, then you have a trade to do, right? Like that's at the that's end of the exact, day. That's exactly, that's exactly right. And that will be arbitraged out if there's any kind of, any kind of way to, uh, you know, if they get too cheap or they get too rich. And we've seen just in the past week, 30-year break-evens or in the last past two weeks have moved from, they moved from a low of roughly 212 and they moved to a high of 262. I mean, you know, when they get too low, people come in and buy. When they get too high, people come in and sell. So they definitely have that information value. Yeah. And 50 basis points on a 30 year is quite a lot because you're talking about a, a, a product with a duration of, you know, upwards of 20 years. Right. So so you're talking about in, in terms of point moves and percentage change, it's massive, right? It's massive. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk just uh, in a couple of minutes we have left here. Let's talk about Winshore Capital. Can you talk a little bit, you know, give us your elevator pitch and, you know, where, uh, you know, know, what types of uh, funds that you manage and, uh, um, you know, where maybe you, uh, you you see opportunity going forward? Yeah, well, we, you know, we're a hedge fund and we're we're managing funds for um, for various investors. But um, in general, we. We're we're an interesting case. We're both both of our PMs are a couple of ex market makers, um, and have had varied experiences on the buy and the sell side. Um, we you know we just look for opportunities where there's stress in the market. We look for opportunities um, to, uh, I guess um, we you know trade global inflation markets against each other, relative value opportunities. Um, and, you know, we're looking at this, these markets, you know, versus other markets across the globe, um, equities, commodities, and anything looking for any kind of dislocations that we can take advantage of. Um, you know, in, in general, we're, uh, we're opportunistic. So, you know, we're not necessarily going to make a call on whether inflation is going to be you know, 5% next year, or if it's going to be 2%, but we really look at how does the market gauge this? What do investors think? Where are the flows coming from? Um, and, and, and then try to try to make money off of where we think uh, things are going to go next uh, in a very short period of time, rather than a long-term view. Though those long-term views matter, um, they drive investor behavior, and we want to take advantage of you know how investors are going to behave so i'm going to tear up the script here a little bit and maybe keep you an extra minute since you brought up the uh the global inflation environment and, and looking at say european linkers and and the like you know how how much does the difference in the way that inflation and um you know cpi and uh, are calculated globally how much does that does that factor into your thinking or or is it more just you know relative value because you know, we know what these products have done over the last 20 years in terms of um, or, or what the what, what the, the differences have been in those inflation measures that are used to calculate linker and, and tip um, uh, prices. So, so you know, you know talk, talk, can yeah. you just talk very briefly about about that? Yeah, well, there's always these debates about whether the inflation numbers we're seeing are are legitimate or not. Um, you know, the, the data collection and the way they calculate it. And there's differences among the different countries. 
Um, and, you know, not to get too technical, but, um, you know, we look at all this and we, we dive deep into the inflation numbers um, to try to find trends and, and see where things are turning. Um, and we can do it in all the different countries. Um, the U.S., for example, a lot of people have talked about some of the more high frequency data. And by high frequency, I mean the stuff that when it's reported is reported um, at a very timely basis. Um, as opposed to, so let's say things like gasoline, some goods prices, they're all, they're all um, very timely. So uh, things like housing, rents, those types of things are, are treated different across the globe. But here, obviously, the way they do it, it, it creates a big lag between where rent prices are, if you were going to rent something right now, versus what's reported, which is the rents that people are currently paying. So for example, if your lease hasn't hasn't changed in the past six months because you signed the lease eight months ago and they ask you, you know, what's your current rent, it's going to not change. So you get this big lag or maybe, you you know, if you have signed it, it goes up. So you end up with a six to eight month lag in that type of thing. So what we've seen is um, some of the higher frequency, more timely data start start flattening out where the inflation numbers right now have been driven very, very much by the shelter component in the U.S. Uh, and, you know, the global the global inflation, each index has their own kind of nuances that um, that are going to drive it. But in the U.S., that's one of them. So, you know, we look into those types of things and and try to decipher, you know, which ways the index going to go, because that's going to affect, obviously, investor um, investor sentiment. Great. Well, that was Bob Zucker. He is a portfolio manager at Winshore Capital Partners. Bob, thanks very much for coming back on FIC Focus. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And now we're going to shift over to our Fun Fed Fact segment with Angelo Monolados. Angelo, what Fun Fed Fact do you have for us today? Yeah, so with the FOMC meeting next week, I think it's appropriate for us to talk about some recent policy action that we've seen. So yesterday, the Bank of Canada actually surprised markets to the downside. Uh, around 68 basis points of hikes were priced in for the meeting. The majority of the of survey of uh, economists were um, were looking for 75 basis point hikes. There were there was uh, a cluster looking for 50 as well, and the bank can actually hike by 50 basis points. Um, their statement became uh, much more two-sided on on the risks going forward. I think uh, it was still more geared towards inflation is the problem right now. But uh, we shouldn't. We also shouldn't over tighten here. Uh, we've tightened a lot, and they also gave some guidance about uh, future interest rate hikes, um, where the next meeting is likely to be 50 or 25. And I think it'll, it'll really come down to those inflation numbers that we'll get uh, sometime in uh, mid uh, mid November. Uh, that will, may may dictate what what they do there. Um, and then today we got the European Central Bank uh, that uh, actually hiked as much as uh, the market was expecting, but there were some, uh, what the market interpreted as dovish changes to the statement, uh, potentially looking for a less forceful uh, policy action going forward. They've, they stated that they made substantial substantial progress. Uh, so that, that, that may mean that potentially a, a, a you know, less hikes from the, the ECB going forward. So I guess with that in mind, uh, 
does this alter your your view for the FOMC next week, Ira? And what do you think the FOMC may signal, not really for next meeting, but going forward? Yeah, th thanks for asking the question, Angelo, and, and that's great insight into the, the Bank of Canada and ECB. Um, you know, I think it does not change my view on next week. I think the Fed Reserve will hike 75 basis points. But, but you know, the every Fed speaker and even the chair at the last meeting said it has been saying at some point they were going to start hiking at a slower pace, right? So, so, so by Jay Powell next week signaling something like that, similar to what the ECB did today, and um, I, I think would not be a, a huge surprise. And I, I think actually has to be your base case scenario. And and. The fact that we've been pricing, you know, 50 basis points for December and then 75 and now 50 again, you know, I think that that's a reasonable expectation. And in fact, we've always had, um, well, I can't say always had, but certainly over the, for the last couple of months, we've had 75 basis points uh, penned in for the November meeting and then uh, 50 basis points December and then 25 in January. And then at that point, I think for, from the Federal Reserve's perspective, they will become completely data dependent, but likely with a that 25 basis points as their new uh, normal hiking cycle. And if, if you recall, uh, Angela, way back in uh, in May, I thought that seven that 50 basis points was going to become the new 25, and I was a little bit wrong. Where now the the market seems to think it's 75 is the new 25. I, I don't think that that's likely to persist. I think it was just you know they they did the string of and and we'll do the string of, of 75 basis point moves basically because we were so low and and the the fed wanted to normalize interest rates and get back to uh, some semblance of of normal um so, so i definitely think that um that, that 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 the fed will go 75 but then it's a matter of you know how slow how quickly do they reduce the the pace of purchases and i i think 50 basis points for december is um it would be appropriate given the the data that we're likely to get between now and then uh, anything else from you this week, Angelo? Yeah, something something interesting. Uh, just like another uh, kind of fun Fed fact is right before the next meeting. So we, we know 75 is pretty much uh, baked in for this meeting. The Fed's kind of guided to it pretty well. Uh, but, but the December meeting, um, there's a CPI release on the first day of the FOMC. The interest rate decision is coming on the December 14th, but the CPI is going to come out the day before that. So that that may be where uh, maybe more uh, or better forward guidance in the Fed kind of pointing to we're likely to go 50 here uh, might be might be appropriate uh, for the market because that's going to be, you know, that's a, a very crucial data point for you know the evolution of Fed policy in reaction function, but they don't get it until the first day of uh, the meeting. So I think that that'll be pretty interesting uh, looking at de uh, December. Yeah, keep in mind if it if it surprises to the upside for sure, I would imagine that we might price in uh, some chance of a seventy five basis point hike once again, uh, particularly if it's a it's a pretty big number. Um, and and obviously we we get the October prints between. So so we actually put out a note this morning, Angela, where you looked a little bit at um, at some of the uh, data that that we're, we're likely to get for October. And one of the things that you noted was um, that that it seems like inflation will be relatively sticky uh, for the October numbers. Uh, can you talk a little bit uh, about that? And and I would note that people can find that on the terminal under both of our bios on uh, on the Bloomberg terminal. Yeah, for sure. So, um, the and th this ties in really well to what Bob was saying about the more real time uh, indicators and some some indicators that we're seeing. So, the Cleveland Fed puts out a a, a nowcast for CPI that gives you 
the current month estimate and then a one month forward estimate. And it does core CPI, uh, headline CPI, core PCE, headline PCE. So looking forward to October, um, the mar uh, that nowcast is signaling a 0.54, so half a percent month over month increase in the core measure and almost an eight tenth increase in the headline measure of, uh, of CPI, around four tenth increase in core, uh, core PCE. So although that is a little bit slower on CPI, uh, on core that is, versus, versus the previous uh, month that we had a really high uh, month over month gains, uh, at an annual rate, you know, over six and a half percent, you, the Fed is not definitely not comfortable with that. And that's why I, I think that those December, those November numbers that we get in December might be even more important because this, we're not going to see a uh, much, uh, much gain in those set in the second derivative or below uh, momentum of prices uh, with these October numbers. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that, that we have been focused on is, is how quickly will, um, will inflation decline? And what we've seen with some of these core inflation measures, and as you just mentioned, um, you know, it's still 6.7% annualized rate on um, on core CPI is, is estimated by, by the Cleveland Fed Nowcast at the moment. If we get 6.7 and then 6.5, you know, it's just not the glide path that the Fed wants to see, right? The, the Fed would like that to be a little bit more um, uh, uh, steeper decline. And, and certainly, you know, the inflation swaps certainly see a pretty uh, steep inflation d decline and, and probably steeper than what the markets, what, what the real economy is likely to deliver. And, and that's one of the reasons, quite frankly, why I think that the Fed will hike toward uh, 4.75 to 5% on, on the Fed funds rate, and then maintain that until they, uh, they they get inflation back down toward, you know, certainly under 3% before they even think about cutting interest rates, almost regardless of what the real economy does, unless there's a, there's some kind of obviously exogenous shock that forces them to, um, to, to shift their thinking again. So with that, we're at time. And Angelo, I would like to thank you very much for all of your time over, uh, over the past couple of years being on the uh, FIC Focus podcast. Thank you very much, Ira. And with that, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week after the Federal Reserve meeting, talking, uh, recapping that meeting. Uh, if you'd like us to hit on any other topics or have any guests on, please let us know. We're more than happy to, uh, to entertain that. You can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal um, at uh, BPod Go and on all of your podcatchers. We hope that you'll subscribe and, uh, and rate us so people can find us. We really appreciate it. On behalf of Bob Zucker, Angela Monolatos, I've been Ira Jersey. Thanks very much for listening. Be well. 